Bookstuck with Richard Aldous, the books and ideas podcast brought to you by AmericanPurpose.com. Coming up on the show, Emma Rothschild, professor of history at Harvard and author of the new book, An Infinite History, the story of a family in France over three centuries. Uh, Emma, welcome to Bookstuck. Very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So this family, tell us who they are. They start in the story with a very obscure woman, an illiterate widow in a in a small provincial town in France called Marie Mar, and her husband had gone as a indentured carpenter to the French island of Grenada in the 1750s. And we pick up the story in 1764 when he's died on the way home and she's heard that he made a small fortune while he was in the in in the colonies and had managed to buy several slaves who were working for him and she wanted to find out where his fortune was now i th- i think that there was no truth whatsoever to the rumor she'd heard but she was trying to find out um um what the story was so that was how they started the second thing that happened a few weeks later was the marriage of her daughter and her daughter who was marrying the son of a tailor a few streets away um had a signed a prenup a prenuptial contract and 83 people witnessed it so that was a bit mysterious so really one thing led to another and i simply wanted to find out what really happened who were all those 83 people um Uh, what really happened to the husband in the West Indies. And I sort of got caught up in the story and it ends up following um, the family and their descendants over five generations. And it ends with um, her grandson's grandson, who was one of the most famous people in the world at the end of the 19th century. He was Cardinal of Algiers, a famous opponent of the trans-Saharan slave trade and um, uh, uh, a great sort of builder of cathedrals. So along the way, we we travel almost entirely around the world. By the second generation, the family are literate, but there are no letters about them. Um, but they have economic lives. They get caught up in big political events. So some of them um become quite rich for a time others become destitute and um uh the 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 story takes completely unexpected twists and turns so so that's what the book is about it's a story really but it's completely true and it is a it's a fascinating story because on the one hand we have these uh, huge events of history the transformation of modern times the french revolution uh, industrialization but as you say at the beginning these uh, the, this this is all told through uh, a story that's happening in an obscure place um, and about an unknown family so that and that it, i'm fascinated by the way that you start with this marriage contract because it it freezes a moment in time doesn't it of all these individuals of family of networks all on this one specific day yeah one one december afternoon and and i've i've now seen masses of 
prenuptial contracts from the period. And it was really unusual to have so many people wanting to be there. And so I, I, I think the <laughs> this is a historian's um, um, professional characteristic, but I think one of the driving forces of the of the book was inquisitiveness. I just was so curious as to why they were all there. So that meant trying to find out who they were and what um, and what happened to them, what their relationships were to the young couple. And then of course, as you say, um, the French Revolution comes comes along, they're involved indirectly in some of the some of the great events of our times and some of the the great um um you know the great economic transformations of of the 19th century and and uh, it, it, i mean it, it is a family history um of course of a family that's not not my own family but it's trying to tell a very large story through through a family history and it's different i think from ancestry type family histories from which i've learned so much but it's different in that some of the main characters actually are people who didn't have children at all so would never show up in genealogies like um five of the daughters of the of the couple in the marriage contract who never married um, remained living together in this small town until the middle of the 19th century but um, made um, saved their money um, and made some very successful property investments and actually ended up sort of bankrolling the entire extended family for a time. And it's it's fascinating. I love the way that you make this connection uh, with uh, contemporary texting, that there are these micro-communications that are going on that allow us to see the story told one very small step uh, at a time. You have a lovely phrase, actually. You say that uh, this, is, this is individuals and history glimpsed out of the corner of the eye through networks of family friendships and place in a way i i did get the idea for the book from thinking about our own information society and it if if one walks down the street now i mean i wish one could walk effortlessly down the street now um but you see almost everybody talking or looking at screens um, or sort of or exchanging information, maybe exchanging gossip in one way or the other. And the thought that came to me was maybe this is how people's lives have always been, that they're always exchanging news and information and being part of social networks. And it's just that we don't have any ways to to um, to, to easily recreate the the media in which they were they were exchanging with each other, so so it's it's, it's very much inspired by the, the the modern information society, and of course it's um it's inspired too by all the ways in which the the practice of doing history has has changed recently. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to spend many happy weeks in the Archive Municipal of this small town, Angoulême, and the departmental archives and 
you know, it's a beautiful little town and I would work in the archives in the afternoon, in the during the day and walk up the hill to the town in the evening. And, you know, they were happy weeks. But a lot of the book was done with the archives that are now available online, not necessarily searchable, but there. So I could be following the trail of one of those 83 signatories who'd moved to another department or some of them moved as far as Tahiti. And I could you know, be at home um, at midnight um, reading the archives. And, and that's, that's sort of changed what history means, I think, in ways that are really interesting to think about. Yeah, and it's, it's worth saying for listeners that, I mean, you've fully embraced that, that there's a website that accompanies the book, uh, infinitehistory.org, where uh, listeners can look and see some of these documents uh, for themselves and trace some of the uh, the connections. I mean, is, is, that, is that something that uh, this kind of very interactive uh, way of uh, readers kind of connecting with the material too, is that something which is important to you? Um, yeah, yes, it is. And, and th there were so many things that I, I couldn't find out. There were members of the family uh, whose traces completely disappeared. Um, and, and I hope, I'm, I'm, I believe that some reader will will know what happened to 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 those people so i there's a there's a section on the website called continuations and i'm just hoping that some of the some of the puzzles will will be resolved by other people and 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 the and the clue presumably is in the title as well that this notion of infinite history you say right at the end of the book that history is always infinite there's always more to be said and discover which i guess is the joy and the curse of being a historian well, it was very difficult to to know wh when to end, and I think the the simple answer is exhaustion. Um, but you know, the, the, there's also a spatial dimension. One of the things I really like on the website is um, um, we've got something called a family map, which a wonderful student worked with me on, and and that's a map where where everywhere that any of the descendants lived is 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 marked and it's not it's it's interactive in the sense that you can click on the place and you can find a google street view of what that place looks like obviously now but um oliver who worked with me on it was really good at finding finding views that looked sort of vaguely 19th century and um that that was really fun to do to get a sort of sense of how physically dispersed um, that the family became around France, but literally around the world from from Lebanon to Tahiti. And the implication uh, of the book uh, is that this idea of history from below, these these ordinary people living their ordinary lives, that, uh, that this has something really important to tell us about the past, that it's not just about the great politicians making decisions uh, about things that will move the world. Old, that these that those big decisions also have consequences for ordinary people uh, in their everyday lives. Yes, that that was um, very important to me because th th there's almost a century of of explicit interest in histories from below, but there's been a long-standing assumption that a history seen from below has to be a statistical history or a mass. History. So you say things like um, 
you know, the the um, median age at marriage was for women was 23 or or 80 percent of of the population were agricultural laborers. I mean, you 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 don't talk about people with names and lives, and 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 I think the. Um, the deepest impulse for the book was to to try and see if one actually could write a history from below that was also um, a, uh, a history of individual people with individual destinies and and um, um, choices and um, um, and outcomes. And I think this is also related to. The, the new technologies of availability of historical sources. I think that's much more feasible now than it was, let's say, 30 years ago at the time of some of the great Italian micro histories. So I wanted, I mean, I say in the book that this is, that this is a book made up of stories and I wanted to tell stories. Um, and I hope that the, that the, 90 odd stories add up to a larger story. I mean, that having been said, as you pointed out at the beginning, we do end up with this fascinating figure towards the end of the book, a major figure in the Catholic Church, Cardinal Archbishop of Algiers, Primate of Africa. Uh, I mean, was that, was that something that you were pleased to have this big character emerge? Or in some ways, did it almost spoil the kind of the, the ordinariness of the, of the story? It's so interesting that you that you you asked that because I it was a question that I posed to myself um, really intensely. I, I was astounded that he he turned up, um, and it was really by just googling their names in a, the family name in a kind of in a kind of um, idle way that I came upon him, and then I thought he can't be a relation, and then. Turned out that he was. Um, I, I didn't regret it, um, partly because he's such a fascinating figure, but but also because you know, I'm trying to be a historian and and say what really happened and 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 tell the truth as best I can with my sort of limited resources of time and energy um and and he, he was part of the story and and it was really interesting to um to think about the ways in which he who was so famous was connected to um to his ancestors and and one reason i i i was i wanted to end with the fifth generation was it that it seemed to me that there was a um, a connection of family memory that lasted five generations in a the very specific sense that um, the cardinal knew his grandfather quite well. His grandfather lived to great age, and uh, there there are many occasions when the cardinal was staying with his grandfather that for which I have evidence. And his grandfather, in turn, knew his grandmother, Marie-Emma, with whom the story begins, pretty well. He, um, she also lived to quite an age. She was still alive when he was married. Um, they lived very nearby. So I could, I mean, I, I, I try and I think I succeed in the book in never saying anything like, 
um, she must have or he might have. I, I, I want it. I want it to be a very sort of flat and evidence-based work. But of course, I imagined her talking to her grandson about the strange story of of the missing husband in the West Indies. And I imagine the Cardinal talking to his grandfather about um, where the family came from. So, so there's a, there is a connection of storytelling in a way that goes, um, goes right through the family. But yes, I, I, I completely enjoyed writing that long, um, large chapter, which, um, which sort of in a way bursts the bounds of the book. And it's interesting because you, you say at different points that, you know, you're interested in what happens next in the story, but then you also say, is it even a story? And it, it seems to me that you're very keen to avoid the idea that this is not just a linear story of a, a woman who uh, can't even can't write her own name through to something that ends with this figure who is a cardinal and that somehow this is a, a kind of a weak progress uh, that has taken place over these stories. You you are very, very keen not to present the story in that kind of way, it seems to me. Well, in, in, in part because the 19th century um, history in the book is one of, of um, actually fairly dramatic inequality in, in the sense that um, the, the cardinal was one of 20 odd um, descendants of the woman who I've been, who I've, about whom I know a fair amount. And one of his third cousins um, was, uh, um, was living in extreme poverty in Paris. Um, uh, she was, she, when she died, she was described as a, as a, as a street seller. I mean, that one of a, a woman who walked up and down the street sort of doesn't say what she sells. Her, her sister was also a destitute seamstress who had 10 children of whom nine died in infancy or childhood. You know, they, the, the family diverged greatly. And I, I don't, know the extent to which um, um, the, 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 the third cousins were aware of each other's existence. I mean, how, how well do we know our third cousins? Um, but, but I, I mean, I am a historian of economic life. I was very interested in what, what succeeded for this family. And they, they absolutely didn't succeed in the kind of classic industrial revolution, expanding um, industries of textiles or, 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 or steel or machinery. I mean, the ones who did well, did well through education or through the church, some through banking of a, occasionally a fairly disreputable sort. So, so it's a very mixed picture about this period of tremendous economic transformation and one in some ways that's more evocative in, in, in relation to the, the kind of service-oriented economy that we live in now. 
I mean, you mentioned uh, at the beginning that this is not the story of your own family. Of course, your own family was at the centre of political events over a lot of this same period. I wonder, does does that affect your sensibility and your uh, really the your ability to create this story over generations because you have that same sense in your uh, in your, of your own family's history? Well, of, of course, as a as a as a historian, I'm I'm very conscious of having at least two family histories: one maternal and one um, and one paternal. And one of the one of the things I liked about the project of 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 this book was that um, I, I think I was to an extent that surprised me able to tell a basically matrilineal story over um over five generations because most of the most of the story is about Marie Mar's daughter and then her granddaughter and great granddaughter um and um yeah I absolutely have thought about thought about my own family. In fact, I thought a lot about um, um, uh, my own third cousins and how much how much I knew about them. One one of the things that um, I um, um, I was very struck by was the extent to which friendships um, among distant relatives are really a, a matter of sort of elective affinities um there was a there was a very nice online book launch event and i was very pleased that um two of my distant relations were there um one um was on my um father's side uh uh the, the Rothschild cousin I'm closest to, who happens to live not so far from Angoulême, and he I I calculated was my fifth cousin once removed. Also there was my um, my closest cousin on my mother's side, who who this was more straightforward. He was my fourth cousin, um, who is a um, a great philosopher. Whose, fa- whose father, my mother's cousin, um, uh, who, whose my, my mother's cousin married his father, who was a great Ghanaian um, um, lawyer. So, so you know, he, he wasn't actually calling in to this meeting from from Ghana. But why were they those two of my relatives on two different sides who um, to whom I was so close. It, it, it's to do with friendship and accident and lots of different things. And I, I think that's something I wanted to convey in this book, um, um, that families are something you choose to some extent. Yeah, I wonder as well if there's any contemporary resonance to the kind of uh, work that you're doing. You're writing history from below. I, I wonder how how do we write that kind of analysis, not from the perspective of history, but in real time for contemporary life in a way that maybe would inform our politics today, if that's even possible. One of the contemporary questions I thought a lot about. Um, as I was really sort of working on the last stages of the book, um, is the extent to which we are we are all living through events of 
of which over which we have no control and um, very little ability to predict the future. Um, you, you're, you, you said, you know, one step at a time earlier, and I and I think um, the the people in the book were walking one step at a time into a completely unknown future in the way that I think many people um, feel now. I, I suppose I do see one large contemporary resonance to the question of, of history from below, which is that it's really important to think about how, for example, economic policies um, matter for ordinary people's lives. And, and I think um, you know, the, the contemporary news media see this in the sense that so many articles now are about how vaccination policy, for example, or policy on gun control um, actually affected this family in this sort of way. And, and I think if if um, the, the sort of new technology of our own times can make it easier to think about policies in a in a micro way as well as a macro way in a in a in a specific way as well as an abstract way then then that would be something that would be very positive in terms of public life. Yeah, and I guess that I mean the other tension within the book that uh, you keep returning to is this idea that uh, political time varies from moment to moment. You say, whereas economic lives proceed at a more stately, more stately pace. So the, this idea of kind of things that seeming to happen very quickly, but also that change happens over time, and that we need to be aware of that in our own time too. Yes, and and the sense that. Um, time gets um, gets scrambled, that some things are changing minute by minute, which is an experience, you know, we, we all have in 2021, and other things are happening extraordinarily slowly. I mean, just I, I give an example that I don't talk about in the book at all, but that's, that's climate change. And this is related to things I've worked on earlier. Um, I mean, there are dramatic events related to climate. And at the same time, there's a sort of consensus that changing infrastructure is going to be one of the ways in which it's going to be possible to slow the pace of climate change. But infrastructure decisions like where to build roads, whether um, to build um, or r repair railways are are connected to decisions about land use, about water use, about um, changes that will have consequences 50 or even 100 years from now. They're related to legal changes, to changes in local government. So, so it's a um, it, it's a time of sort of almost jarring juxtaposition of of the short term and and the long term and and in some ways i think this book was a reflection on on that and on how it's possible for individuals to live with uncertainty 
And that those individuals, that their experiences matter, as one of their characters says right at the end of the book, that uh, describes his experience as being indispensable uh, in the lives uh, in which we live. Well, um, who is in indispensable? I mean, that's another existential question to think about. But I think um, um, uh, friendships, including friendships with near and remote members of one's family, um, that's, um, that's indispensable. It's, it's indispensable to live as, um, as social and sociable beings. So the book is An Infinite History, The Story of a Family in France Over Three Centuries. It's written by my guest, Emma Rothschild, and published by Princeton University Press. There's also an accompanying website at infinitehistory.org. Uh, but for now, Emma, congratulations again, and thanks for joining us on Bookstack. Thanks very much, Richard. So that's it from us this week. Don't forget to check our website, AmericanPurpose.com, and to leave us a review on your podcast app. The show is produced by Damir Marusic. Do join us again next week. But for now, this is me, Richard Aldous, saying thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.